Welcome to a new episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And I am joined by two special guests, two people that have been on the pod before. Joe Morgan. Joe, how you doing? I'm wonderful after that, that game, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> had a really nice time. And Sabrina Merchant. Sabrina, how are you? I took full advantage of the Staples Center candy that game. <laughs> so we're recording this after the Clippers' 126-112 to win over the Pistons. But this is my podcast, so we're not going to talk about this game. Uh, I don't care at all about it, and I don't think the Clippers did either. So <laughs> well, let's talk about some more interesting stuff. Um, let's talk about the 2010 decade, which just finished up a few days ago. It is January 2nd. Uh, this was the best decade by far in Clippers history. It's not even close. I don't even know what the next contender would be, like the 90s, the, two, the, you know, the aughts. I, I, I don't know. Um, but far and away the best decade um, what five 51 seasons seven playoff appearances three trips to the second round should have been five if not for injuries uh, maybe a conference finals thrown in there somewhere maybe, probably a conference finals if not for game six against Houston um, you had the, the Blake Griffin being drafted arriving with the team you had the Chris Paul trade you had DeAndre Jordan becoming an all-star. You had the Doc Rivers trade, which people forget he was traded, not signed. Um, you had Steve Ballmer purchasing the team after the Donald Sterling tapes. Uh, and then to end the decade, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George becoming Clippers and this team becoming one of the most respected organizations in the NBA, which you could not have predicted at the start of the decade. So after that long ramble, um, I'm just curious to you guys. To me, it, it, it comes down to Blake Griffin and Steve Ballmer. Those are the two lasting figures to me of the 2010s. I think you could throw Chris Paul in there, obviously. You could throw Doc Rivers, uh, maybe Kawhi too, because he's about to usher in a, you know, a new era of excellence for this franchise. But to me, it started with Blake Griffin. He really was the first domino. If not for Blake, there's no Chris, there's no Doc, there's no, maybe no Steve Ballmer purchasing the team in 2014, and then ultimately no Kawhi and PG. And without Ballmer, you know, this franchise does not go to the heights that they're at right now, uh, just in terms of the front office depth, uh, just the, the depth of the basketball staff, and just the way they're well regarded. Um, so I don't know where you guys want to go with, with Blake or Steve, but just kind of your lasting thoughts of you know both of those two through the decade yeah I, so i think it's balmer i do think i think that's the main focus like do, do i think that you can get a really good player by being really bad for a long time yeah you can and that's what happened with blake griffin so don't get me wrong he really started all this and he was he was the one star that they finally had and they were able to obtain other stars as well but i think without balmer none of this is even possible and for him to come in and replace Sterling, who is possibly the worst owner in the history of all of sports, changed the way that we looked at the Clippers. And I, you know, I have to say this too: like it actually put a spotlight on this team when the whole Sterling thing went down, and then he was bought out. Like we didn't when, when uh, Bomber came in and bought it. If that doesn't happen. I don't think the Clippers are even thought of in this city in any light whatsoever. I mean, being a Los Angelino guy myself, I grew up here. The Clippers were completely irrelevant. The friends that I had that were Clippers fans 
when Balmer took over, they were more excited than when Blake was there because they hated Sterling so much. Um, so I, I think it has to be Balmer. He's really looked at really highly throughout the NBA, obviously. I think that's something um, that is huge for the Clippers. Just it, it, Obviously, you have to have the, the GM and the coaches get everything done. But as we're now seeing, like let's say James Dolan in New York, it doesn't matter what you have underneath them if the owner isn't um, willing to, one, spend money, and two, competent enough to allow people that are smarter than him, if you will, in a basketball sense, to make the decisions, nothing ever happens. And so I, I firmly do believe it's Bomber. And obviously, as we now have moved along and, and with Kawhi and PG and, and the Clippers being potentially the best team in the NBA, that's another story. But none of that happens without Steve. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think... Uh... Blake is the reason that Steve Ballmer bought this team. I mean, he was in line to buy the Kings if they were going to move to Seattle back before David Stern saved them and kept them in Sacramento. But I just think that it Rest requires... Peace, David Stern. I think it requires an entire organizational effort to be able to win a championship. And no matter how good the talent was on the Clippers before Ballmer bought the team, there was a ceiling that they had because they didn't have an ownership that was willing to spend the tax or they didn't have a front office that was able to fill out the roster on the margins. And there's so many little things that the Clippers are able to do now because they have Steve Ballmer, they have a competent front office, not just a competent front office, they have one of the best front offices in the league. All of those things just wouldn't have been possible without Steve Ballmer owning this team. And so even though I I hate to assign ownership credit over players because the players are the ones that win the titles, his influence on this franchise is the single biggest thing that happened in the 2010s. I don't think Kawhi Leonard signs with this team if Donald Sterling owns this team. I agree completely, but I, I don't think you can get anybody here if Sterling is, is still the owner. And I think we kind of forget, like, the facilities weren't there. Like, he wouldn't spend money on anything. Nobody, like, the players were, nobody was happy in those locker rooms. They were freaked out when he would come in. And now you have Bomber. Like party and right? all that stuff. Really freaky stuff. And now you got a guy in Bomber who's sitting on, sitting courtside and is showing more energy than 95% of the fans. Like, I think that resonates and I do think it actually affects the way the, the fans view this organization and the way that they can get into these games as well. So I think we're, we're kind of splitting hairs here because I think they both – I think you can make a case either way, but I, I actually slightly disagree, and I think that that's healthy for a, a three-person podcast. Yeah, this is how they go um, down. Yeah. <laughs> but because for me, I, I think what – because I just wrote about this uh, this morning, so it's kind of been you know top of mind for me. I think people forget how special Blake Griffin was as a rookie, and he had one of the best rookie seasons of all time. Like you know, that's not hyperbole. Like that, you know, statistically, um, you know, he was I don't know what twenty two, twelve, and like four. Like he he was special from the jump. Was a you know rookie all star, which we rarely see these days. You know, LeBron James is not a rookie all star. Um, yeah, I think the only other one I could think of off the top of my head was like Yao Ming uh, over the last couple decades. I'm, I'm probably missing like one or two guys, but it, it really is rare for a player to have as much hype as Blake Griffin did as a rookie. Um, and I, I think, again, like, I, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to take anything away from what Steve has done because I think, as you guys laid out, what he's done has is, is been special. I think he's already established himself as one of the best owners in the league um you know in in that conversation but i I think the leap from sterling to almost like random owner x was big enough that had it not even been steve but someone else that you know if you just look at some of the recent ownership changes that we've seen over the last like decade had it just been one of those random i mean 
now there's a couple that I don't know maybe Vivek Ranadive like in, in Sacramento you're like all right if he takes over maybe things don't go as well but um someone for two okay so so maybe <laughs> I'm talking myself into Steve here but I I just think what Blake kind of built really just again set like a chain of dominoes down where you know Chris Paul was originally supposed to be a Laker right. and that, that was blocked by the league uh so maybe he doesn't end up going you know maybe he ends up on the Clippers anyway or he just ends up somewhere else but I think a big reason why he wanted to come to Clippers was obviously Blake Griffin and the you know the partnership that they formed early on um, which was good at first and then soured eventually um, Doc Rivers I think just looking at that you know that situation and being like I'm gonna have a young in his you know entering his prime Blake Griffin a already in his prime Chris Paul and, and then uh, you know Steve Ballmer I, I think like, if you take off, you know, you take away Blake Griffin, you probably don't get Chris Paul and Doc Rivers. Who knows who's coaching the team? Who knows who's on the team? Uh, maybe Steve Ballmer still buys that team, but that team is way less appealing than I have this young Mark. Like, again, Blake Griffin, very marketable, was, you know, leading the league in commercials. It bothered a lot of people, a lot of, you know. I thought uh, it was hilarious. I enjoyed the paddle shifter commercial. But, but a lot of people, you know, too much too soon. He doesn't deserve this. He has, you know, what has he done? But, like, he was a star from the jump, again. And I think because of the way his career has played out, because of the playoff shortcomings, we kind of view it differently now. But those first two, three years, he was on that, like, Luka Giannis level of not as good as those guys necessarily, but in terms of, like, must-see TV, sports center every night, a guy you had to tune in to watch on League Pass. Like, he was at that level. And I just think if they have... I don't know, John Wall as the number one pick. Or, you know, Anthony Davis is, is obviously special, but, like, a- Andrew Wiggins. Or, you know, there's been some recent number one picks where you're kind of like, that guy, like, I don't know how marketable he is. I don't know how attractive he is. And I think Blake really gave this team capital that they didn't have and might not have had, you know, I, I don't know. I, that's just, So, I mean, I, I guess it, it's, it's an unfair advantage to him because he was first, right? And, and he kind of started, like, if Steve had bought the team first, then I would probably lean towards yeah. Steve. But I just think Blake's impact is is incalculable uh, just based off of, you know, I think kind of the chain reaction you saw from that point. Well, first of all, are we considering Blake being drafted part of this decade if it happened in 2009? So, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it's technically like the 09-010 season okay. starts, yeah. but I'm, I'm starting at really 10-11 because that's when he His made his debut. Season. Okay. Um, yeah. See, I think the key for me is that Blake brought the Clippers back into relevance. There's no denying that. They were floundering, even though they'd made the playoffs a couple years before with that lovely Elton Brand team. Blake Griffin's the reason people started talking about the Clippers again. They're not a championship contender without Steve Ballmer. Like, I think that's Chris the Paul. jump. Yeah. I think that's the jump that I'm referring to because there's a cap on what a Donald Sterling-led team could do. I would agree with that, but then I think you're also getting into kind of like it's not dangerous territory, but we can really open this up now, right? So if you want to, if you want to have that, Joe wants to open it up. Open it up. <laughs> like I actually think that Doc Rivers is a very close third, and in, in the influence he's had on this team, he's a championship level coach, obviously in Boston. He's a players coach. I think we do forget about that. Players want to play for. Well, you Doc just Rivers. love the Boston part. Of this. Uh, yeah, I do love that portion of it too. Look, I, I think Doc being here and kind of he does have kind of that calming presence. He's an ex-player. Players love being around a coach like that. I think Doc Rivers needs to get a lot of credit for what yeah. he's done. I seriously doubt that Kawhi and PG are here without that's, Doc Rivers. That's a good point. Right? So, yes. Well, and he, he guided them through the Sterling situation. Correct. Right? Like that, that, that was where he got his, 
sort of power within the organization was, you know, he got promoted because of that situation and became president of basketball operations. Um, now, obviously, we can discuss we can his, his, his front office tenure and uh, kind of some of the, the botched moves there. But, um, no, I, I agree with you. And, and look, I, I think the other guy that we just kind of talked about a little bit is, like, Chris Paul. Like, Chris Paul was the guy who, like, this team didn't, they're not making it past the second round and, and potentially making the conference finals without Chris Paul. Like he, you know, w- with Blake that first year, they were an exciting team, but they weren't a playoff team. Um, you know, I, I'm interested to see what like a Blake Griffin, Eric Gordon, Eric Bledsoe team would have ultimately done, but that's probably capping out as like a first round exit, maybe second round exit at best. Uh, Chris really took them to like immediately once he joined the team, they went from, you know, I, f- I forgot they're like a 10, 11 seed the year before, immediately jumped into like four or five seed. Then from that point on, they're really top two, top three every year for another three or four years. So uh, I think really you could split it anyway. You can make an argument. Um, I think to your guys, like, I guess to your guys' point, I, I think Steve probably was the most impactful overall. I just think the, the Blake chip was so appealing and, and really you know, I think you have to have that one because the thing was this this team has, has been here for thirty years and no one gave a shit. It's you know, like and and I think Blake was really the first guy that single handedly changed that. Where I mean, because even the you saw it a little bit with like Lamar Odom and Darius Miles and those guys, but like they were kind of culturally relevant to like NBA junkies, but they weren't like mainstream. I guess Darius Miles is in that one like SAT movie and it's a fantastic uh, movie. <laughs> Like and they were they're in that other movie where like they play like high schoolers or, yeah. or whatever. Cues yeah. in there and yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but really like Blake took them from you know just kind of team no one gives a crap about yeah. in L.A. to they're on ABC Sundays and they're you know they're a top five draw in the league in terms of just teams you want to watch. So I have no problem saying this right back when the Mozgov, when it was Mozgov, or whatever yeah. you want to call it with Blake, right? So it was an incredible moment, right? And actually that was the moment where I decided I was going to start watching Clippers games. I wasn't covering the league at the moment, but I was still watching a ton of NBA. When that happened, and there was actually another dunk in that game, by the way, that was my favorite dunk of all time, but we only talked about the Mozgov one. The back one. It was way better. Yeah. Yes, it was way better. When that was happened... That on G- Gallo? It might have been on Gallo. It was on Gallo, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable dunk. That was the moment where I was like, okay... I'm going to watch the Clippers now. So to your point, I, I think you can pick and choose, obviously, and this is an argument that neither of us are going to yeah. win. Right? But I, I, would, I would say that Blake has had a massive, massive impact, and uh, it's too bad he didn't play tonight. <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a bummer. <laughs> to, to bring it full circle. Uh, so let's take a quick break, and then we'll dissect some free agent, well, buyout trade market stuff, potential free agent stuff. We talk about physical fitness a lot. But there's another side of the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body. And Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. And if you head to calm.com slash clippers, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash clippers. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash clippers. That's calm.com slash clippers. 
So a couple of interesting recent tidbits with this team. Uh, Bleacher Report's Eric Pincus reported that the Clippers have interest in Aaron Baines and would potentially be interested in an Avica Zubats Aaron Baines swap. Um, also discussed a little bit of Montrez Harrell's fragency and, and how teams around the league uh, kind of wonder if the Clippers are actually going to pay him what he's worth and if he could potentially be traded. Um, it's something I've written about and reported, you know, two, three weeks ago too. Like, uh, it seems like Trez is going to make a lot of money and that's something that the team is going to have to kind of weigh. Um, so that's kind of one side of it. The other side is Darren Collison, who, uh, you know, had seemed like was really tied to the Lakers heading into the, the offseason. Uh kind of randomly retired out of nowhere, said he wanted to focus on his family and, and his religion, and now is seeking an NBA comeback for one of the, the two LA teams, both of whom could use a point guard upgrade, you know, in theory. Um, so let's start with the Baines idea first, and, and then we'll go into Darren Collison. How do you feel about the Aaron Baines potential fit and is giving up Avica Zubats worth it for what seems like a short-term upgrade, though this team's window could be a short-term you know, type situation? I think the problem with trading Avica Zubats for Ann Brains is that you still end up with as many minutes of Montrez Harrell as you currently have on this presently constructed roster. Like The problem the Clippers have is that whenever Harrell's in the game, their defense suffers tremendously, and that's also because he's paired with Lou Williams and that 1-5 combo is just a little too flammable for my taste. But if you're going to trade Zubac for Baines, Baines still has those same minutes restrictions that Zubac does. He, doesn't, he hasn't been able to stay healthy shouldering a bigger load in Phoenix because DeAndre Ayton was suspended for those 25 games. I don't think you can count on him for more than 20 minutes at a time, and what the Clippers need is to bridge those Harrell minutes, and I don't think that gets you there. Now, some way you could add Baines by sacrificing Harrell, that's something I'm a little more interested in. Wow. Uh, no, I was not expecting no, that. No, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to start now. Um, I like Bain's game a lot, right? Uh, obviously, with Boston's missing him quite a, quite a bit this year. <laughs> I was waiting, I was waiting for that. Okay. They're missing him. They're going to miss him soon. And I, I, I like that he can step out and he can, he can knock down some shots. But I, I think that's big. I think that's something. So offensively, I think he would add something here. I mean, obviously, defensively, he would as well. Um, part of me thinks that sacrificing Zufor Baines would be, a, yes, it's a short-term play. You're in the short-term moment. So if it's going to help you that much, which I'm still not quite sure it's going to, so I'm fine with that. But if the Clippers think that he is going to get them a notch better, then I think you have to make the move because this there is no long-term play here in LA. It's a championship team now, and if they don't win now, I don't know what's going to happen after next year. So if, if the Clippers and, and Doc think that he's going to make them slightly better and a bit, a more of a championship level team, I think it's something that you would have to consider, um, but I don't know how much of an upgrade it is. Exactly. I don't think Baines is that much better than what Zubach is right now. I, would I think agree. offensively he is, but I don't think we give Zubach enough credit for what he is defensively as a rim protector. I mean, I understand that Phoenix defensive ecosystem is not exactly the best place to judge somebody's defensive capabilities, but Baines hasn't been as productive on that under the floor as Zubac. So I don't know that he's necessarily an upgrade over Vita for this particular season. And in that case, I, I just don't see the fit. So I think we're in agreement here. I think to Sabrina's point, the, the one thing is like, it just seems to me that 
Doc doesn't trust Zoo for whatever reason. He refuses to play him more than 16 to 18 minutes a mm-hmm. night. And even – I wonder how much Baines could actually play. Like, I, I do think 20, 22, maybe 24 stretching it, but, like, somewhere in the early 20s. And if you're shifting from 16 minutes to 22 minutes – you know, six minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but I think that could be valuable potentially. Um, and it's almost just more of like, if you could just get in someone that Doc is going to trust, you know, maybe that ends up being a little bit more valuable. Um, I do wonder like if he could close games and if he can't, then, you know, you're kind of stuck with the same problem. I, I, I'm intrigued by the spacing. That That's the thing where I'm like, he can shoot threes. He has not been shooting threes well since the start of the season. I think he was shooting like 42, 43%. Since then, he's been like 29% over the last few weeks. So we'll see kind of how that, you know, evens out. But I don't know. For, for this, I mean, the, the other thing is that if you're the Clippers, you have to look at this. You've traded away all your picks. They still you, have the 2020 pick. They have though. the 2020, but like... Moving from 2022 on, you might not have another pick until, what, 2027, I think? Uh, So if you're going four or five years without any picks, having young talent is very valuable for you. And that's where I think a guy like Zubots was three more years on his deal at $7 million a year, which is really not that ridiculous, especially if you're going to be kind of starting him as like a placeholder. Um, You know, I, I think... Uh, heading into the year, he was ranked like 30th in the league in terms of you know centers, uh, you know paid. So you're basically saying he's like a low end starter, high end backup, which is what he's even paid as. And if that's the case, like it might be worth it longer term to kind of keep that guy if it's not that much of an upgrade, right? Because if it's a five percent upgrade, I don't know if it's worth the potential down the road risk of. Well, now you just don't have it, you know, because Zoo's only 22. Like, yep. he's going to be, you know, through the rest of his contract, he's going to be 20, like, up to 25. So I, I think having a guy like that who could potentially get better, uh, I think his shot has looked better this year. You know, he, he worked on his three-point shooting over the offseason. Doesn't seem like we're going to see that this year, maybe not even next year, but who knows two years from now, maybe he can be a pick-and-pop five. Um, so I, I, that's where I kind of lead towards Zoo. And I, I think to your point, like, He's really good, and I don't think he gets enough credit where people always talk about this team having kind of a hole in the middle. I think the hole is the non-Zubots minutes, honestly. Uh, you know, for as good as Montrez is offensively, he's six foot seven. Like, you know, I've stood next to him. He's not that much taller than me. He's a seven four wingspan, so, like, that makes up for it. He, he's athletic, but he's always a step late defensively. He's not a good rebounder, and I do have concerns – against Joel Embiid, against Giannis Antetokounmpo, against Anthony Davis, if he can, uh, you know, if he can be out there. I just want to quickly say this for everybody listening here. Uh, Yes, Jovan is close to 6'7". He just wanted everybody to know that. So I'm glad you threw that in there. Uh, So I guess on on Trez's free agency, um, since this is now relevant in in this podcast, uh, where do you guys draw the line on how much you pay him? I've talked to... A few people around the league who've said they think he's going to get 20 to 25 million. It's a really weak free agent class. Um, you know, th- there aren't many teams that have cap space, but the teams that do, he kind of theoretically makes some sense with, like an Atlanta, a Dallas, um, maybe Charlotte. A, a Charlotte, maybe a Chicago, depending on the direction they go. Like, I think him and Markinen's an interesting fit, although they have Wendell Carter, so, you know, who knows. But um, I-, I just, 
you know, where do you guys fall on how much you'd pay him? Um, would you flip him at the deadline if, if you know you could find the right deal, um, or do you just kind of say, hey, if we lose him this summer, like we lose him this summer, but we got to go down with what we have right now because it's hard. Like the, the hardest thing with trading trades is he's making six million dollars a year, yeah. and to find equal value is almost impossible unless you're packaging Mo Harkless. Um, you know, Jerome Robinson, whoever, uh, to kind of get some more money in there. Uh, so, you know, and maybe they attach a first round pick. You know, I know that's something that um, has been floated out there. Like they, they can trade their 2020 pick and this is a weak draft class. So, uh, you know, how do you feel about Trez's value and what's the most you'd pay? Well, I don't think the trade situation for this year makes any sense at all. I, uh, I know that some of that's been floating around. I don't even think that's really realistic. Um, I don't think the Clippers are thinking about that. I think he mean, they might be, right? They might. I, I personally don't think it makes any sense, and I don't think they would do it. Um, I think he means too much to this team. I think there's a lot more to it than just what you even see on the floor. Like, I, I do think if you take Trez out of that locker room, I think it's an issue. Like, I think he means so much to this organization and to that locker room that I really think it would be a detriment if they got rid of him. I would be more comfortable playing it out and seeing what he's going to get on the open market. I would have no problem giving him 20 million. And I know we've talked about this, like, you know, four years, 20 mil. If he starts getting up to, like, He's well, making like four years, 80 million. That'd yes. be 80. Good math. That's really good math. Okay. So let's four years, 20. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would be like 20. I'd be okay with, um, you start getting up into the 25s for Montrez Harrell. I would have second thoughts. I, I don't know if I'd be willing to pay that kind of money to him because he has limitations. He's look, we all love Trez. The guy great basketball player, but at six, seven, there are some issues that we see with him. And I'm curious to see what happens in the postseason when he's got to go up against some big guys and play them back-to-back nights. Um, but I would play it out, and uh, if, if it's in that $20 million range, I'd give him the money. If it gets higher, then he might have to let him walk. I think what's going to be interesting about Montrez's free agency is it's going to depend on how well the Clippers do in the playoffs mm-hmm. because you see these teams, they, they pay a championship tax to keep the guys that are part of their core. So, for I mean, I don't think the Clippers realistically would go higher than 22-ish per year, but if they won a title and Trez wanted four years $100 million, I think they would give it to him. Well, I think the other part of that is going to be how he plays, right? right? Because if, if he starts getting benched at the end of games for Zoo, I think that, that's kind of telling of, of where he's at. Um, I, I think the other, the other thing, though, you got to look at for me is, you know, my hesitation with paying him that much is this team is locked in with, you know, Kawhi and PG now. They're making $70 million over, you know, this season and next season. They're going to be free agents in 2021, command even more money, you know, be looking at close to $80 million for those two. So if you're paying Trez 20 to 25 million, you're essentially saying he's our Clay Thompson, he's our Chris Bosh, he's our Kevin Love. Like you, you don't have just infinite resources to spend money. Like the Clippers can go into the luxury tax. You know they, they can. You know they're gonna have Jermichael Green probably and, and Mo Harkless as free agents. So like maybe they go into the tax to pay those guys. Landry Shamit the year after. Lou Williams. Like they, they can keep the top eight or nine guys on this team and, and pay them and, and pay the luxury tax, but. I think at some point it starts to be, you know, you're, you kind of look at the top end guys of the roster, and I just don't know where Trez fits in on that. I think if you're comparing him to those three, he's clearly not only a notch below, but maybe two notches yeah. below them. And the one commonality between those three is that they could all shoot the ball really well. And you saw Kevin Love and Chris Bosh change their games around LeBron to be stretch bigs. Trez is not... 
if, if anything's actually regressed as a shooter this year, if you look at his shooting numbers, he used to be able to hit mid-rangers out to like 15, 16 feet. He's not been shooting the ball well this year. Uh, it's actually gotten worse. So I just wonder, he's not a very modern big. Like he's a really good roller. He's a good rim runner and he has gravity that way, but he's not the most modern big. He does have the size limitations. And I just like, for me, I would pr- probably not want to go over like 18 million. Well, I think then, that might be my my personal limit. Well, then the question is, is do you trade him? Because he's going to get more than 18 yeah, million a year, yeah. right? So then do you have to make the move now or are you going to let him walk for nothing? What think, kind of big are you trying to get in Trez's place, I think is the question. Is it just somebody yeah. who fulfills a defensive role? The, the problem is, I, I think with the, this roster construction is they're so dependent on their top four scores that if you take Trez out of that, you're now asking like Landry Shamit yep. add another six, seven points a night or, you know, just Jamichael to, 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 to shoot a lot more or, um, you know, or now you're just saying Kawhi. Or, look, I think Zoo could step in. You know, if you, if you said, you, you know, you trade Trez and Zoo goes 16 minutes a night to 27, 28, I think he could give you an extra four to six points. Uh, I think he, he's a solid roller. Uh, it's I not going to get it done, but yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, you're losing 19 points from your, your rotation, and now that's falling on Lou. Like, I think Lou, I mean, Lou is, is kind of done more for Trez, but Lou's benefited a lot from Trez as well, um, and just his ability to roll and, you know, suck in defenses. So, I don't know. I, I think you might just have to swallow the pill and be like, hey, let's just play the season out. Let's see how he does. And best case, he does really well. We keep him. Worst case, he walks, and you know, I think if they're not willing to pay him, you got to think that's like a calculated decision. We, we've grown to trust this front office, so if, if they decide for whatever reason, hey, like we don't want to pay him twenty million, and he's getting twenty five, then you just kind of have to just deal with it because I think the worst thing you can do is pay someone that's not worth that amount of money, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think the Clippers have shown the willingness to trade guys before those traded contracts. Traded Blake Griffin, traded Tobias Harris. Yeah, I think Tobias Harris is the cleanest comparison here because he was about to be paid a contract that does not look very tradable. Like, we didn't think Tobias was going to get $180 million. Kind of a different time, though. Okay, I mean, that's I don't really compare the two, to be honest with you. That, that team wasn't winning anything with Tobias. You get rid of Trez, that's I why don't, I don't think, think you're a championship level team. Right? That's why I don't think you trade him. Yeah. So, I, I, it's, yeah, I, it's hard for I mean, look, if, if you package him with Mo Harkless, you can now get into the $18 million range. If you're willing to throw a pick in, like, you can get someone 20 to $22 million, somewhere in there where, like, all right, now we're talking, you could maybe add, like, a third all-star level person potentially. potentially. But again, I'm curious, uh, like, who is that player? I, I don't know who that is. That's the problem, too. Like, off the top of my head, I have no idea who it is. Yeah. So, like, it's like, when you start talking it out a little bit, it's like, this is actually a really tough spot that the Clippers are in. The, right the, now, my, my ideal fake trade that just isn't really possible uh, is DeMontis Sabonis uh, for Trez. But because he signed the extension, yeah. I've actually been, from a few people I talked to around the league, they said the Pacers wouldn't do that. Like, because uh, Sabonis is going to be making $18 million a year. So Trez, theoretically, is going to sign for more. Although, I think he could be valuable on the Pacers because I think they need, like, another scorer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially once, like, him and Oladipo in the pick and roll is just, you know. Deadly. And, or Brogdon in pick mm-hmm. and roll. Um, and I think Miles Turner is, like, the ideal big you put next to Trez, which is basically a 3 and D center. Uh, you want someone bigger than him who could rebound, block shots, and then also stretch the floor. Uh, but I, you know, financially, it's a pretty complicated trade, um, and you know, it might that that might actually be like a Trez and Mo and a pick for like Sabonis, which 
I would consider, but you're now putting a lot on in the Sabonis yeah. basket. Yeah, and I think that's such a tricky thing to do in the middle of a season four title contending team. Like, I think what Joe said about disrupting that locker room chemistry is so important because, I mean, to me it feels like that Paul Hall, right? Like, Beverly, Lou Williams, yeah. and Montrezl Harrell, like, that's the heart of this team. That's where their identity comes from. You feel that lack of energy when Pat isn't playing or when Trez isn't playing in a different way than you feel it when Paul George isn't playing. There's just a certain part of their core identity that's built into those three players. Yeah. And... I would be terrified of breaking that up when you're so close to winning a championship. I completely agree. I do. So let's quickly touch on Darren Collison. You know, we, we mentioned that earlier. Um, how do you guys feel about his potential fit on this roster? Uh, to me, it seems like he'd just be the 10th guy, replace Rodney, or, or maybe it's a platoon of him and Rodney, depending on the second unit. Um, I, I think the one thing I really like about him is his three-point shooting, and he, he's been one of the best three-point shooters in the league the last few years. Um, you know, in terms of percentage. So I do think he could have that value of, like, he could handle the ball and, and take a, a load off of Lou, but he could also spot up around the Lou Trez pick and roll and kind of help the second unit shooting-wise because Rodney's not shot the ball well. He's been a minus offensively, um, and I, I think he's kind of been a little disappointing up to this point of the season. So, um, you know, he's smaller than Rodney. You are going really small in the backcourt, but I do think that... You know, almost honestly, for the similar reasons why the Clippers could use Andre Iguodala, it, it's to not let the Lakers or the Rockets also or Dallas true. get him. Uh, I think similarly, like, don't let the Lakers get Darren Collison. And maybe that costs you Derek Walton Jr. or whoever you, you have to cut. But um, I think, you know, Darren Collison someone who's played with Paul George. Uh, he, he's played under Doc Rivers. Uh, I think, you know, guys tend to prefer veterans right or wrong so I think he would immediately command the respect of the locker room uh, but I don't know uh, what, what do you guys fall on that so I thought at the start of the season that Patrick Beverly would be the team's most irreplaceable player just in terms of what they had on the roster to fill in his minutes and I mean I don't think that that's necessarily true anymore just how good Kawhi Leonard's looked but <laughs> that Kawhi guy's pretty good he's pretty good but I do think that we're having this discussion now more so because Pat's out and we see what the roster looks like without him I think when healthy, Darren Collison doesn't crack the top nine of this team. And if we're thinking about potential upgrades that the team could make for a postseason run, you don't need to upgrade beyond your top nine. Like, those Rodney Magruder minutes, they just get excised in the playoffs when you stagger Kawhi and Paul George a little bit more. So, yeah, I think Darren Collison makes a nice fit on the second unit during the regular season. I like the fact that he shot 40% from the three-point line last year. I, I don't think he really adds that much defensively, but the, like, the Clippers are filled with a lot of you know one-way players, so... I just don't think that you need to make that kind of move for regular season upgrade. So I agree. Um, I don't really think it's a huge focal point either, in my opinion. I, I don't. I, I would focus on the big more than having Darren Collison come in here. Yes, I think he would be an upgrade at, at the 9 or 10 spot, right, coming off the bench. But I, I think Sabrina makes a really good point. I, the postseason is what we should be looking at as far as adding players that could potentially win you a playoff series. If he's the ninth or 10th guy, guy, he's not really going to be getting those minutes uh, Anyway, so I, I actually think the Collison thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you're looking at it in the way that you might be looking at it is if he's a Laker, 
mm, we don't really want that, right? Because yeah. I think he would. I actually think he'd probably be better with the Lakers, but and yeah. get more minutes. I think the Lakers right? could use him more. I think use him more. A lot of sense so there. If you're better trying to keep him away, then get him. But um, I, I don't. Ultimately, I don't think they will. Um, and I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's going to add that much value to them come postseason time. Well, the the other thing though, I, I think to like the nine ten spot though is, is that this team has not been healthy all season, and I, I think like we talked about. Um, your guys' show uh, th- that, you know, if there's no third big, right? Like if you're, if, you know, this team has currently constructed, if they're in a playoff series and you know, we see little knickknacks happen, guys get injured for a game or two or whatever, if Trez goes down, if Zubats goes down, this team is screwed inside, yeah. you know, especially in, the, in a matchup like the Lakers or in the finals or something. Uh, so that's where they could use, I think, a third center. Yes. But equally, like Pat Beverly goes down, which... He does not have, like, a clean bill of health, you know, historically. He's been pretty much injured every single season he's played, except for, like, last year. Um, You know, or Lou Williams goes down, or Landry Shamit goes down. You don't really have another guy to step into that role, and that's where I think I would trust Darren Collison over a Derek Walton Jr. in the playoffs, over Jerome, over Terrence Mann, over even Rodney Magruder. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, no, no further comment on that. <laughs> I just but, think uh, that the third center is a role that, like, the Clippers have a whole lot even when they're fully healthy, yeah. which seems to me where you'd want to address because the point guard thing only really comes up if they're hurt. Yeah. And I understand you want to game plan for the situations in the event of worst-case scenario, but to me, I look at this roster and I think even when it's fully healthy, like, Patrick Patterson for a center is a trade-off that I'd like to make. I mean, it's probably a trade-off they should have made before the season started. Yep. <laughs> um, any other thoughts on what you'd like to see? Um, you know, something we also talked about on, on your guys' show is, for me, I think the one spot, you know, another spot they could potentially upgrade at is the kind of fifth closer, which would probably be a wing. Uh, you know, it, it could be Robert Covington, Marcus Morris, uh, Andre Iguodala, uh, I, I like Bogdan Bogdanovich. I think he'd be an interesting fit with this team. But I, I just think right now they kind of are locked in with Kawhi, PG, Lou, Trez. You kind of know what you're getting from those four. Two of them are plus defenders. One is maybe neutral in Trez, and then one is really, really bad in Lou. And I think the lack of size from the Lou Trez pairing, the lack of rebounding from those two, the lack of defense from those two, you see teams target them in the pick and roll. Um, I just think that fifth spot probably has to be a bigger player than Pat Beverly for as, for as good of a rebounder and defender as he is, uh, you know, a bigger player and a bigger player than Landry Shamit. So ideally you'd want like a three and D wing that just can spot up, you know, I mean, Robert Covington to me is like the perfect guy. Now, you know, every team could use a Robert Covington. So, you, you know, it's gotta be Harkless, a first and like maybe Jerome or something. But I, I think, finding that kind of fifth spot to me would be also another potential hole where I just don't love the fifth guy. And I think you see in the, in the finals, like in the conference finals, finals, who are you going with, with your last seven, eight minutes of the game? And who, who are you throwing out against the Lakers? Who are you throwing out against the Bucks or Sixers? Like you kind of know who's probably going to be there. Um, or even the Celtics, like Robert Covington would be great against the Celtics if the Celtics make the finals or they're after, like, I think he'd fit in any of those series. So I think that would be another spot to look at is maybe upgrading on Mo because Doc has kind of shown he's not really going to close games with Mo. Mo can't shoot. He's an offensive liability in the playoffs. So 
maybe they look to upgrade that spot. Because ideally, I think Mo Harkless is like a 36% three-point shooter. You close games with Mo Harkless, but he's not. So that's, to me, like, you know, along with the extra center and extra point guard, they might be able to have an upgrade at that spot. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because entering the season, I assumed that Mo Harkless would be that fifth guy. Like, I know the Clippers really liked Michael Green and they were really excited to bring him back. And I think he has a role as the fifth guy in those closing lineups because he can shoot. But it's so strange how Doc just doesn't seem to trust Zoo or Harkless, you know, in those closing lineups when it seems like, you know, we just watch these games and think, oh, wouldn't they look better with Harkless in this position? But if he doesn't trust him... That's exactly the kind of deal they should be making for a Covington type. Or, I mean, yeah. I don't love Marcus Morris, but the fit makes sense because he's a bigger guy who can shoot. I think if you can get one of those two guys, you make the move. Absolutely. The question is, can you? Right? I, I, I don't know if it's possible. I don't think they can make it happen. But I think it's pretty straightforward. I, mean, I think Harkless in a first gets you Iguodala. I don't know. That'd be interesting. Don't you think if that got you Iguodala, the deal would have already been done? I don't think they want to give up a first. Uh, yeah, this I mean, is what I'm saying. They've, they've, they've traded seven yeah. firsts over the summer. <laughs> well, you're going to have to, right? I mean, I, I don't I, know. I think, I think they can get them on the bio market. Yeah, and I, I don't think we'll, they're going we'll to see. because I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I, I look, I, I think if you can get Covington, somebody of that nature, and, and Morris, then yes, it's a massive upgrade. And I think you would. I think that puts you as the best team in the league because right now I'm not 100% sure, to be honest with you. Like, I would. This is a Clippers podcast, Joe. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. You guys do not fear the deer. Yeah, you guys, you guys don't want it to be real. We'll keep it like that. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, I think the Clippers need one more guy. And it's, if it's, not, it's not Harkless, right? It's not, I don't think he's going to be the guy that's going to be able to close games. And I think you can go out and get like a Morris or a Covington. You are suddenly way by far, in my opinion, the best team in the NBA. So if you can make a move like that, you make that move. I just don't know if they're going to be able to. I'm not sure Covington is that much better than Harkless. Oh, see, I think he is. But the, I think his shooting has taken a dive since he got to Minnesota, and he hasn't looked quite the same since he had that injury that knocked him out of a lot of last season. But honestly, it comes down to the fact if, if Rivers is going to play him yeah, in a closing five I mean, with that, them, that's, that's, that's the factor, right? Because yeah. we don't know what the rotation is going to look like. I mean, I have ideas of what I think the rotation should look like, but obviously Doc has very different ideas of what yeah. he wants to play, right? So... I mean, and then there's a reason why Portland was so willing to part with Mo Harkless, right? Like true. he was in a lot of playoff situations, and he no, wasn't they, able. I think to... they slightly regret it because they can't guard anybody. <laughs> well, they <laughs> do now. Yes, absolutely. But I think you know, you saw him in the playoffs, yeah. a little unwilling to shoot, like you said, an offensive liability, and that's just something that they weren't able to sustain, right? There was just so much pressure put on Damon CJ, and obviously the Clippers don't want that having happening with Kawhi and PG. R- random thought, but I've been a little disappointed with the Clippers offensive depth this season um, you know I think people looked at the team and, and were talking about how deep they are how good the second unit is and a lot of that's on the backs of Lou and Trez but I would say defensively their top 10 you can kind of only point to really Lou and Trez I think as, as being minuses defensively and they go seven deep for sure, and I think Landry Shamit is someone who's gotten better, not the most consistent defender, can get beat off the dribble, but they really are like seven to eight players deep defensively, which I don't know how many other teams in the league can say that in their top ten. But offensively, there are nights when they're four guys offensively or five or six and you know are playing four guys who are absolute liabilities, and I think – that has been a little bit of concern for me, and, and that's where that extra guy that Joe's talking about, I think, can maybe step in because um, 
this team offensively has, has been very stagnant and that's the whole ball handling thing. And, you know, it's kind of, they're kind of too deep in it now where I just don't see them getting a, a point guard upgrade that's significant enough, most likely, um, unless they throw the farm for like Drew Holiday. But that's probably like, I don't know, Trez, Harkless, a first. Yeah, they're not going to They're going to have to decimate the depth, uh, which, you know, maybe you do for Drew, Drew Holiday. But I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little concerned. Like the offensive side concerns me because I'm like, you can really scheme, I think, like, their four guys and and really just lock in on them and it's like all right everyone else beat us because you know Kawhi will get us 30 PG will get us 25 uh I I don't have a lot of confidence in Lou and Trez in the playoffs I think you saw that in the Golden State series it was like Jekyll and Hyde night to night you're also Um, talking about that's all they had that's all they had uh but that's still going to be all you know for 15 minutes a night that's going to yeah I I think you saw it in in the Lakers game you know the Lakers defended them really well they shut them down uh, them being Lou and Trez, and uh, I don't know. That's just random thought to close this. Uh, if you guys have anything to add, and then we could wrap. No, up. I, I think the offensive inconsistency has been like the most surprising thing yep. to me about this season because just looking at the roster, you think they'd have way too much talent to go through the kind of lulls that they do, and yet watching them play, it seems like for large stretches of games, even when they win, they don't look like a cohesive offense. And I don't know if that's just a function of not practice time or if it's a a real issue with the way this team was built but it doesn't look like the kind of offense that you want in June it gets weird I mean I don't really have another way of putting it like I know we sit next to each other during these games and like I'll elbow Sabrina I'll be like what the hell's going on with this offense for the past eight minutes so I I'm I'm with both you guys but I I think this is the team you're riding with I'll, I'll end it with that I think this is the team you're riding with going into the playoffs um I do think that having four guys in Trez, PG, Kawhi, and Lou who can who can all score, I disagree a little bit. I think come postseason time, those are the four guys you are going. Obviously, you're, you're depending on them. I think they're enough to get it done. You get some some numbers from the other guys around there. I, I think this is the team they're going with, and I actually I, I do think that they're good enough offensively to, to win it. I right now it's a little stagnant. It's a little weird. I I think they're going to figure it out. I, I really do. All right. Well, thank you guys for your time. I didn't mean to go for 45 minutes, but... We're a fun group. Uh, where can people find you on the social medias? Yeah, you can find me at Joe Morgan Takes. You can read me uh, on SportingNews.com. And you can find me on Twitter at SabrinaJM, and my clever stuff is at Sports Illustrated. All right. Thanks, guys.